0: All right, um, welcome to church. Uh, my name is David McMaster. I'm the, uh, the pastor here. And uh, if you're new or visiting, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and really, we're trying to understand what it means to be, uh, for Jesus to be our king and for us to be a part of his kingdom. The last couple of weeks, we saw Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, and then he was driven to the wilderness by the Spirit where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. At that time, Satan came and, and tried to tempt Jesus. And what we saw that J- was that Jesus was victorious over Satan and that he's no match for him. And from there, we're going to see today that Jesus goes right into uh, ministry. So if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew 4, 12 to 25. Um, it's a bit of a longer passage today, so we're just going to get right into it. Uh, we're going to read it together and then we'll work through it. But uh, Matthew 4, 12 to 25 I'm reading from the, the CSB translation, and it says this. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Verse 18, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Verse 23, now when Jesus began to go over all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease, sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they were brought to him, all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases, intense pains, demon-possessed, epileptics, and uh, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond, the Jordan. So there's quite a bit happening. We're looking at at sort of a really big um, passage today. Um, There's three sort of paragraphs that we're going to work through, uh, each with their own ideas. We see Jesus in Galilee preaching. Um, From there he goes and he calls some fishermen to be his disciples. Uh, And then we see Jesus preaching and healing and performing miracles um, and drawing multitudes to come and hear him. And so with that, we see sort of three big ideas from these paragraphs. Paragraphs. God prepared the foundations of Jesus' ministry with the right message, the right men, and the right methods. So, verses 12 to 17, God prepared Jesus with the right message. Right away, um, in verse 12, we see John the Baptist being arrested. Um, and, and that's actually a quite a drastic shift from last week. And, and one thing I, I think I should point out is that Matthew wrote his gospel topically, not chronologically meaning every event did not necessarily happen in the order or to the immediacy that we read it. You need to remember that Matthew is writing the things that his readers and his audience needed to know, uh, which was ultimately led by the Holy Spirit. But we know from other gospels that John the Baptist was not immediately arrested right after Jesus' temptation. Uh, Most scholars would would agree that his um, ministry probably lasted several months after. But John is arrested and we see Jesus head to Galilee where he would live between the two regions of Zebulun and Naphtali in the town of Capernaum. And for you and I, that's not really that significant. But for the Jew, that would have been a really big deal. Matthew points out that Jesus is fulfilling an Old Testament messianic prophecy by going to this region and preaching light in darkness. Isaiah 9, 1-2 is quoted here, and it says, Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In Matthew's context, the people he's referring to as living in the darkness would have been uh, the Jews in that region. But most commentators agree that it's also referring to the Gentiles who were in darkness as well. And, and the reason why we can know that and, or assume that is because Jesus came for both Jew and Gentile who were in darkness. And so it says people have seen a great light. What is the light? It's a, it's a metaphor referring to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of bringing light into darkness through the hope of the gospel. The metaphor of light and darkness is a, is a common um, metaphor used in the New Testament. It's a vivid contrast between life and death and good and evil. Now, darkness goes beyond the borders of Zebulon and Naphtali. The Bible teaches us that by nature as humans, before we receive Christ, that, that we are children of darkness. It also doesn't take much convincing for you to see that our world is also in darkness. Darkness, we have wars and injustice, there's, there's hate and evil things happening all around us. And as humans, in our fallen world, we are all born in a state of darkness because of our sin. And sin prefers darkness to light. And sin always wants to stay in the dark. And yet Jesus comes and he wants to shine light on it. He wants to expose it so that you can turn from it and then receive forgiveness and freedom and and reconciliation. But one of our greatest fears, I think, as humans is exposure, particularly exposure to our sin, and it's scary to bring to light the darkness uh, of sin in our souls. And, and there's a fear that it might be met with shame or embarrassment, or there might be fear that it might lead to gossip or even judgment. And that shouldn't happen. We'll get to that in a minute. Because Jesus, he wants to, to restore you, not, not condemn you. Now, the Bible tells us to bring to light our sin. To confess our sins to one another, which brings it to the light of Christ. James five sixteen, says, "Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed." The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. That's a a bit of a terrifying and yet beautiful verse at the same time. Confessing your sins to one another allows the the light of Christ to shine on your sin. And when Christ brings light to your sin, our response needs to be repentance because that's where you're going to receive forgiveness and, and reconciliation. But it's really hard to confess sin to one another if the Christians that you're confessing it to have the wrong response. So I want, I want to consider for a moment our response to sin being confessed, for sin being brought into the light Notice that the verse in James says when someone confesses sin and it's brought to the light of Christ and it's repentative, and that we're called to pray for that person that they would be healed. The environment and the response to sin being brought to light is really important. Christians, we cannot respond or build a, a culture of judgment or, or gossip or self-righteousness when, when Christians confess their sins to you. We have to consider, as Christ followers, how does Jesus respond when sin is brought into the light, when he shines light on it? Like, what's the, the goal of Jesus shining light in the darkness? Repentance and reconciliation. He told Zebulun and Nephtali in their darkness repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. That's the same message to us. We are called to repent and turn to Jesus. The goal of Jesus shining light in the darkness is that we would respond in repentance and that we would be reconciled to God through Jesus. We need to have the same goal when someone confesses sin, when they bring their sin to light. Repentance and reconciliation to Jesus. When, When someone confesses sin to you, when Jesus shines light in the darkness of someone's life and they're repentant, how do we respond to that person? Do we pray for them or do we, do we help them to understand grace? Do we, do we point them back to Jesus? Do we disciple them or, or just do we condemn them? 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's what we need. That's why Jesus came, so that when we confess our sins, he would forgive us, he would cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Jesus came to shine light in the darkness, not only to fulfill a prophecy, but so that we would have hope in the light of Christ. Verse 17, then says, From then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the message that Jesus is preaching. It's the same message that John the Baptist was preaching leading up to Jesus. And and now Jesus has taken over that message. And it's a simple and powerful message. It's something we've been talking about quite a bit the last few weeks, this idea of repentance. And and this idea of repentance is turning away. It's going a totally different direction. It's It's 180 degrees. So when Jesus says, repent, he's saying, turn away from darkness, turn away from your sin, turn away from the things that you worship that are not God and and turn to what? To Jesus, turn to him, turn to the light. Repentance requires that you pick one direction and only one direction and it's either Christ or it's not Christ. And it doesn't allow you for, for you to worship multiple things. You either worship Christ or you worship other things. You cannot serve two masters. But the problem is that we're, we're sinful human beings. Our hearts get captivated and, and misled to worship things that are not Christ all the time throughout our week. Which is why Martin Luther would say all of life is Repentance. So when Christ shines light on what you've been worshiping, and he shows you, okay, your heart this week is being captivated by material possessions or your work or your influence on people or money or power or your phone, whatever that might be. You have one of two options when Jesus exposes it into the light. Repent and turn to Jesus, receive forgiveness, or continue worshiping those things in the dark. And that'll obviously reveal where your heart is at. And so repentance doesn't allow you to continue to worship multiple things. It requires that you turn your affections back to Christ when God calls it out. And that's why we come to church every week, to have our hearts realigned back to Christ with one another helping each other. It's why we preach the gospel every week, because our hearts get so quickly influenced by the things of this world. And we need a reminder to turn away from those things and turn our eyes back to Jesus. We need to be taken from the darkness and into the light. And so there's a cost to that. It means you cannot continue to worship the things that you used to worship in the darkness. Following rec- Christ requires everything. To follow Christ is to turn away and to repent and to worship him only. And so this message that he is preaching is, it's, first of all, It's offensive. But I want you to understand that it's also a message of hope. When we repent and turn to Jesus in the light, which is where you want to be, he says he'll give you life and life to the full. He offers his own life as a sacrifice on the cross so that you can have life. He will forgive you and restore you and adopt you and reconcile you. He will satisfy the deepest longing of your soul that you're, you're looking for other things to fill that. And he will guarantee your eternity. And so the message that Jesus is preaching is both offensive to the darkness, but yet full of so much hope if you're walking in the light of Christ. So that's Jesus' message. He starts to preach it all around. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he calls the right men. In the next paragraph, in verses 18 to 22, Jesus is walking by the sea and he calls Peter and Andrew who were brothers they were fishermen, and then Jesus called them to follow him, and they immediately left their nets and followed him. Jesus keeps going, and he calls James and John, who were also brothers, and again, they immediately leave their boat and they and their father, and they follow Christ. And Jesus tells them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And it's interesting that Jesus called fishermen um, as his first disciples, Fishermen would have known a few things, and and there's a few parallels um, that we can point out. First, that fishermen would have been very diligent in their work. They knew the work that involved catching something. They knew the equipment needed. They knew how to work hard. They knew how to mend and refine their equipment. They knew the persistence and the the preparation required for fishing. And, And so fishing for people would be actually quite similar. Fishing for people would mean a lot of hard work, a lot of persistence and preparation, which is why Jesus would then be discipling them to fish for people. He's prepping them with the right tools to be a disciple. Fishermen also would have known patience. Um, I love fishing. And a a few years ago, I went through um, almost a two-year season where I could not catch a fish to save my life. And I tried and I tried. I went to um, veteran fishermen who knew um, how to catch fish. And they taught me, um, they told me what to use, the depths to go, the speed of the boat, the um, lakes that were most stocked that you could guarantee catch a fish. And I still could not catch a fish. The problem was is when I took my wife with me on the boat, I would hand her the rod and she would catch a fish. In all these same places. And it didn't matter what it was, I could not catch a fish. And I, I came to this idea that maybe God was just testing my patience. Because as soon as I got into ministry, I realized it's all about patience. Winning people to Christ takes a long time. It takes a lot of investment and a lot of prayer. And it's never guaranteed. You think about Judas. Jesus invested three years into Judas, discipling Judas with the greatest discipler that ever lived. And yet Judas still chose to walk away. Ministry in a lot of ways is like fishing because it takes so much patience and persistence. And like fishing, um, different methods work at different times. So you have to learn the methods of, of what, where you're trying to catch because methods change often. I think about um, the culture that we live in. We live in a time of, of information where there's a podcast and an article written on everything. There's many voices in our culture that are speaking. We are not at all starved with information, but what, th- what comes with that is all these voices telling you what to believe. And I think particularly for, for non-believers, science is telling them what to believe about one thing, Philosophy is saying another thing on what to believe. Our culture in itself has a loud voice on what to believe. And so here comes Christianity in the mix saying, here's what you also need to believe. And so I think about what what sets Christianity apart from all the other voices that are telling you what to believe. And as I thought about it, I thought, I think the way that we demonstrate through your life the hope of Christ is going to be what stands out. The way that you live your life with hope. Philosophy doesn't preach hope. Our culture doesn't preach hope. Evolutionary science doesn't preach hope. But Christianity does preach hope. And it's the only religion where God comes to you to save you. And so I personally think, and and this is my opinion, um, that one of the best evangelism tools for reaching our current culture, is building long-term relationships with non-believers so that they can see how you live your life with the hope of Christ in every season in your life. And so it's preaching, but it's also demonstrating your hope in Christ. And I think that'll speak loud. And it could take years of conversations, it could take years of praying for that person, it could be years of building a relationship with that person, but when they watch you have hope, especially in, in times of loss or uncertainty or, or fear, I think that's when the Christian hope, the message of Christianity is going to speak loud, especially in the way that you demonstrate it. So like fishing, winning souls to Christ takes a lot of patience, takes a lot of faith, and it takes many different methods And there's obviously so many more parallels we can make, but we have some more ground to cover. All this to say is that God called these men to be disciples and fishing would have prepared them for the task that God was calling them to do. Now you may be thinking, well, I'm not a fisherman. So how does this apply to me? Well, Jesus didn't just call fishermen. He calls and uses people in a variety of different ways. And we all have things and experiences that we've gone to that have equipped us for what God's going to call us to do. Think about Matthew for a second, who wrote this gospel. He he was a tax collector collecting taxes all day in a booth. Jesus called him to follow him. And he, Matthew, was not a fisherman, but he would have been brilliant with numbers and logs and names and genealogies and all that sort of stuff. He was probably really good at taking notes all the time. And what did God call him to do? Write a gospel. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that he would have been taking notes the whole time he was following Jesus because that's what God had for him. And we see the fruit of that today as we work through it. We all have gifts and tools and experiences that we've gone to that God has equipped us for whatever task he calls us to reach people. And so are you aware of the tools and the experiences that God has given you to disciple other people, to fish for people? And if you don't know what that is, I'd spend some time praying about it or ask people who know you, who can see things um, that you're, you're good at, that, that God can use. Christianity is not, it's not sitting around doing nothing. We have a mission. We have a purpose. We have a hope. And the world needs to hear it. And God has called you to help with it. Now, notice when Jesus calls these fishermen, they left their jobs and their family. And the text says, Immediately. And so again, there's a cost to following Jesus. Jesus has priority over occupation and family. And this can be really a really difficult thing to, to grasp. And like these fishermen, he may call you to a job and uh, to leave your job and your family to go be on mission somewhere. This happened recently to my wife and I. We got called to move to a little town called Chetwynd about five months ago. And it was the first time where where God had called both of us away from all of our friends and our family um, that we had known all our lives. And we were called to move to a place that I'd I'd never even heard of before. um, And I didn't know a single person. But we said yes to the call of God because that's the cost of following Christ. And we wouldn't trade it for a second. We love being here. We love what God is doing here. And we hope to spend a long time here. But here's what you need to know. Your family and your occupation have to be held in an open hand. And that's really hard to do. But it's the cost of following Christ. And so don't let your faith in Christ become conditional on those things. Consider the cost because there there is a cost. The disciples knew it and they dropped everything to follow Jesus. Are you willing to do the same? So we see Jesus has been equipped with the right message. He's been equipped with the right men. Now we're going to see the methods that he uses. Verses 12 to 25. Jesus begins teaching and preaching and healing diseases and sickness and performing all sorts of miracles. And these verses teach us a few things about Christ. First, it confirmed his mission. All these miracles and the preaching and the teaching show us that he came for a particular mission and that was to seek and to save the lost. Ultimately to save people from their sins which would lead him to the cross. Second is it shows us the Lord's power and his authority. Jesus has the power to heal the sick. He has the authority to cast out demons. He uh, can save those who come to him because he is God Almighty Third is it points to Jesus being the great physician. There is no disease that he cannot cast out. There is nothing that is incurable with him. There is no broken heart that he cannot heal. There is no wound in your life he cannot cure. Jesus' life given and his blood spilled on the cross would show us that even in our crushed, bruised and fallen sinful state that there is nothing that our God cannot overcome. Fourth Ultimately, these miracles and teachings show us Christ's heart. He's compassionate. He doesn't reject those who come to him. No matter how possessed, how diseased, how rejected they might have been, Jesus doesn't reject them. As Christians, we believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if God was compassionate back then, then he's compassionate today. So we can come to Jesus today bruised, broken, fallen, and Jesus can still redeem us and heal us today. We can experience his love and his compassion today. We follow a God who cares. We follow a God who takes the initiative. Notice in verse 23 that he's the one that's going out preaching and teaching and healing. He's the one who is seeking us. He is a God who pursues us. He is the one who takes us from darkness into the light. He is the one who also calls and equips us to be disciples on mission. God takes the initiative and his methods show us and confirm to us who he is, that he does have all authority, that he loves and that he cares for us. I'm gonna invite the, uh, the worship team to come back up. I want to ask this question, what does this mean for us today? Because we've covered a lot of different things, and and this is a bigger paragraph than we would normally go through. We see three things. Uh, We see Jesus preach a message of repentance that brings us from darkness to light, and we know that the light is Christ, and we are called to worship him with our hearts, with everything only. And so our call today is to turn from darkness, turn from things that have captured our attention or our affections and redirect it back to Christ. We also see that Jesus called disciples to accomplish his purposes. And for us, we need to ask, how has God called and equipped you? Are you willing to risk your life, your career, your family for the sake of the gospel? There is a cost to following Jesus, but in the light of eternity, it's, it's 100% worth it. We also see that Jesus uses the right methods. He, he preaches, he heals, and he performs miracles. He does so to show his power and his authority that he is God, that he deeply cares about you, he deeply loves you, and he proved it on the cross as his ultimate miracle. And that's the hope that we have. Let's pray, and then we'll continue to worship. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the ministry of Jesus and his message of repentance that leads us to reconciliation. Lord, show us where the affections of our hearts have turned to the things that are not you. Help us to see it so that we can turn from it and and fully devote our praise and our worship to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would show us where we've been equipped and called by you. I also pray that you would help us to have an open hand where you call us, Lord, I thank you that you have all power and authority and that there is nothing in our lives that you can't overcome. I thank you that you love us, that you died for us, that you've reconciled us through your death on the cross. Would you receive our praise and our worship? We, We lift this up in your powerful and holy name, amen.